and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Get the popcorn ready. It's game time, baby. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a team that is known as Stoppers. Stoppers. The Athletic presents Hogan Johns. Every single play, go take it. Bring that juice. Let's go get it. Come on. Chicago's best Bears coverage. Go Bears. Go Bears. From NBC Sports Chicago, it's Adam Bowe. As much as coaches probably want to get players out there on the field, I think it's really, really smart to do this slowly. And from The Athletic, it's Adam Johns. To go an entire season without an Eddie Goldman, I don't think is exactly ideal for the Chicago Bears. Now, here they are. What's up? Welcome in. Hogan Johns back with you as training camp, whatever this training camp is, continues. But we have lots of things for you. We've had plenty of conversations via the old Zoom as we record this podcast over Zoom. What a life we live in with this Zoom. I feel like I'm on Zoom all day, every day. (laughs) Was it 14 coaches? Including coordinators uh, on Thursday, we that one had day five hours of Zoom calls. Yes, it, it was like interview after interview. And hey, I'm thankful for it. It's it's a new world in terms of covering an NFL team right now. I feel like uh, we should have had the Hall of Fame game by now, shouldn't we? Already, and I think so. Not that we we're going to go cover it, but it it was supposed to be on TV. And I think it would have been last watch night. It. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, here we are. You know, instead we had the marathon Zoom day with the Bears. That's right. Plenty to get to. I think we got some clarity on some of the quarterback competition, more so like the roles of the coaching staff, uh, which is what I wrote about at NBCSportsChicago.com if you want to check that out, uh, explaining the major players on the coaching staff in terms of how it will impact the uh, quarterback competition between Nick Foles and Mitchell Trubisky. So that's up there for you. Uh, and also some news on Danny Trevathan, which we're going to talk about also up at NBCSportsChicago.com. So that's where you can read me. You can read John's, of course, at The Athletic, theathletic.com, uh, which is where this podcast is on The Athletic. And uh, you can subscribe still 40% off at theathletic.com slash Hogan Johns. That's where you Go get all of Johnsy's content and the Fishman and all the great uh, NFL and all the sports coverage that exists out there. You can get it there, um, and you should be a subscriber. So go do that if you're not already a subscriber. If you are, we appreciate it, and uh, we appreciate those of you that take the time to rate and review this podcast. As we roll on in our sixth season of doing this for you guys, and this is definitely the weirdest and different this time around, but uh, we're, we're getting through it. So... Uh, in terms of things today, as you follow us on Twitter at, at Adam Hogue and at Adam Johns. Thanks to our producer, Kent Garrison, who's here. Uh, we sort through five hours of Zoom calls to bring you some of the best stuff and uh, discuss it. But let's start with the quarterbacks, Johns. Because I don't know about you, but I still felt like a, it was a little bit of, um, what's the right word? unclear exactly what Dave Ragone's role was in this new passing game um, situation. And this is the first time that we've been able to talk to him since the, you know, the changes were made back in January. Uh, But we got a chance to talk to Dave Ragone and I thought he did a good job of kind of clarifying and spelling things out uh, that look, he's no longer hands on with the quarterbacks. 
all day. Like, yeah, he's the passing game coordinator. The quarterback obviously is going to affect what he's doing, but he now has 11 players to oversee, and it's not going to be him who's breaking things down with Mitch Trubisky all day like in the past. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to find or come up with the fairest way to encapsulate this. It, it sounds like he's just well, he's an extension of Matt Nagy with an emphasis on the passing game. Well, well, well that's why he has the passing game coordinator uh, title, but the you're right. He kept going back to, you know, every time we tried to get him to talk about the quarterbacks, he tried to bring it to a grander sense in terms of how the entire passing game is operating. So it sounds as if he's going to have a role uh, in working with Mike Fury with the receivers, a role with Clancy Perrone working with the tight ends, even a a role with Juan Castillo in in pass protections. Like he's going to coordinate all that. And I think Matt Nagy did some of that. Um, Of course, you know, this is his offense, but just in terms of maybe – alleviating some of the burdens on the the Bears head coach, this is where Dave Ragone steps in. Yeah, um, that was the other thing I wanted to mention because he alluded to the fact that uh, Bill Lazor, the OC, is taking some of the things off the plate of Nagy and that Ragone's essentially helping out with that. So I get the sense that Nagy is delegating a little bit more responsibility this year. Yeah, he's still calling the plays, but I think he's settling into that bigger role of head coach where like, hey man, you can't do everything to coordinate an offense every single week. You're going to have to take a step back. You can still call the plays, but you're going to have to delegate some of the day-to-day responsibility in building the game plan, building, coming up with the plays that, that work. And it sounds like really that Bill Lazor and and uh, Dave Ragone are going to take over a lot of those responsibilities during game week. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see how it all, it all works out. I know this is a trend around the NFL to, to promote from within and you know move another guy into the quarterback's coach role. I think it's a little bit different from the Bears because they hired from the outside, and they brought in like a notable quarterback's coach and John Filippo. I know we're going to hear from him here in a little bit, but like it's not like – I don't. I'm still struggling in terms of processing, Adam. I, I guess how this is all going to work when you brought in new hires and Bill Lazor and Flip, and you move we're going to passing game coordinator. Yes, there's that concern about having too many cooks in the kitchen, but um, I understand the delegation process. That's I, I, it, that could be good for a Matt Nagy. Um, I think it could be beneficial in, in the long term for him as well. But um, I'm still struggling to. I think maybe even the Bears are still trying to find this out, how everything is going to to work and maybe be coordinated amongst all the coordinators that the Bears have right now. Well, that's why I like looking at it sort of in a more of a narrow focus of, like, how how do these four guys, Nagy, Laser, Ragone, DiFilippo, handle the quarterback? competition right because this would be just a one example of how it's all gonna have to work because as coaches you're obviously handling a ton of different things in a given week Um, but the quarterback's the number one priority so that's where a lot of my line of questioning was yesterday as we got to talk to these guys because I wanted to figure it out and and explain like how are these roles impacting this competition so my biggest takeaways, and again, you can read this at NBCSportsChicago.com, but you know, you ask Laser, who, by the way, comes in this thing with some experience and intimate knowledge of Nick Foles, 
Then you ask Ragone. Well, he's kind of more of the Mitch Trubisky guy. He's worked with Trubisky all going back to when they scouted him out of college and has been with them through every snap of his career so far. Um, but you ask those two guys, and my takeaways from their answers were like, well, yeah, we're part of the evaluation here. Like, we're going to have a voice in the evaluation and when they meet to decide how this thing's going, probably on a day-to-day basis. But those two guys aren't necessarily handling the day-to-day grind. Then Flip comes in, and you ask him, and I did ask him, and this is we might as well play it right now, essentially what his day-to-day responsibilities are going to be in executing this thing because no one's going to spend more time with the quarterbacks than the quarterback coach, John D. Filippo. So here's his answer to that question. I've got an idea of what I'm going to do to take it one step further than a normal practice that I've graded when we have an established starter. You know, you want to, we're going to take it to the next level a little bit in terms of, hey, in terms of accuracy, you know, in terms of timing, decision-making, you know, where we're going to not just grade whether the ball was completed or not, okay? We're going to try to divulge into, okay, who's the more accurate guy? Who threw, more, who threw it on time? Maybe who was the more mobile guy? Who got us a first down with his feet? Little things that you've got to make sure for both guys because, you know, uh, the only way we know how to operate around here is open and honest. And and those guys are going to know where they stand. And, you know, there's going to be no hiding it. There's going to be no beating around the bush. Uh, if those guys come and ask me how, you know, how they're playing, I'm going to be flat out honest with them because they may disagree with you, but at least at the end of the day they can respect that, you know, that you're, you know, upfront and honest with them. So that, I, that's how I found my career and other quarterback competitions I've been kind of involved in. You really got to divulge into um, just a little bit more than just the completion or reception part of thing. You got to know the why the ball is completed and, and all those things to see who's going to take our team and be able to help our team during the regular season. So he talked in there, John's, about the grading. Again, like no one is going to be around these guys more. Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky, when it comes to actually executing the drills, what they're going to be doing every single day when they go to practice, like that's where the quarterback coach comes in. And he's able to, while Laser and Ragone are coordinating the whole offense, Flip's able to focus on the quarterbacks, right, and what they're doing. So he's talking about grading practice film and how he's probably going to have the time, more time than anyone else, to really, really dissect it and not just talk about, oh, did you complete the pass, but why did you complete it or why did you not complete it and really focus on the accuracy, um, hyper-intensive grading. That's why I think Flip plays a huge role in this thing. So one reason I wanted to to really talk about this, Adam, is I put this on Twitter and the accuracy comment – took off because I think Trubisky, well, well, let's be honest, no one thinks he's an accurate passer, right? They're, the the balls rarely hit the, the receiver in stride where the, the receiver can now make, you know, gain yards after the catch, right? Like that's a, that's a common criticism of Mitch Trubisky at this stage in his career. You see him working with Jeff Christensen now to work on his footwork to improve his accuracy. So obviously he accepts it. So that kind of uh, – Crazy on my uh, Twitter stream, whatever you want to call it these days. And then people were quick to almost defend Trubisky in a sense. Like, so Trubisky's career completion percentage is 63.4%, right? Nick Foles is actually below that 
his career completion percentage is 61.9. Like, those numbers have to be better. Um, but if you look at Foles, like in 2018, when he was with the Eagles, right, he was at 72.3% completion percentage. So there is uh, the silver lining for the Bears. Like, like the, the connection, the pass there with, with Foles' success in the Eagles system, which is very similar to the Bears system in terms of language and calls and whatnot. So, um, and again, I, I think it's great for Trubisky to be evaluated this way. And it, it's hitting the receiver in stride. It's it's not just the completion. It, it's like how the ball is completed too, right? Like it's it's there's more to it in this offense. It's you know you always hear the cliche of putting the the ball in the hands of your playmakers and letting them do the work for you. Well, well, sometimes you have to help them out in a sense, right? So I understand the Trubisky uh, criticisms. I'm kind of ranting and raving here a bit because there's a lot of information to digest, but I like the nuanced evaluation that Flip is taking to the Bears competition. How's everyone doing? This is Nick Foles. Just entered the meeting. Look, when they hired Flip, they knew there was going to be a competition. They weren't telling us that yet, and they hadn't traded for Nick Foles yet, but I think it's pretty obvious that they knew the guy that they wanted to go get. Um, And if you look at Filippo's last couple years, you know, as a coordinator, definitely mixed results. Wasn't the best fit with Mike Zimmer uh, and Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. So moves on to Jacksonville and gets Nick Foles, but then Nick Foles gets hurt. So now you're dealing with the rookie quarterback. Um, and then ultimately they decide to part ways. But the track record as a quarterback coach, I mean, going back to 2017, this was what got Flip to be such a big actual head coaching yeah. commodity. An interview for the same job that Matt Nagy got here in Chicago. Um, so I think there's a lot of optimism about what he can do in this role. Sometimes, sometimes you know, a coordinator is such a different job. Sometimes just being able to narrowly focus on a few players uh, in that quarterback's room can go a long way. And um, and so, I don't know. I'm optimistic about his impact on the competition. And I am actually, after hearing what these guys said yesterday, I'm not really too concerned about the too many cooks in the kitchen type deal. Because especially with the way Ragone kind of kept trying to, Push. It almost seemed like he's pushing himself away from that quarterback competition. Yeah, but if he's the passing game coordinator, I get that that's an extension of Matt Nagy. But there's going to be some input there. You know, like there was one question to flip that I thought from our friend Chris Emma, who had a really good question. Um, go figure. Um, about Chris, uh, Matt Nagy has always been kind of the past half full kind of guy. Whoa. Was it that question? It was not. What did he say okay. again? Chris, uh, Matt Nagy's always been kind of the past half full kind of guy. Easy there, Chris. Uh, I mean, this is not <laughs> nice know. or accurate. No, 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 no. no it's not. Um, about the the bias that, you know, eliminating the bias that some of these coaches might have. And I think I think that all implies, you know, everybody likes Nick Foles, right? Like John D. Filippo has won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. Um, Bill Lazor, you know, I believe Nick Foles was a Pro Bowler that year in 2013 for the Eagles. Was he? Was he not in, in Laser? Yeah. What was there with the Eagles? So like, and by the way, he went through a quarterback competition that year with Nick, with Michael Vick. With Michael Vick. So Laser's been through a quarterback competition with Foles. Yes. So you can under, understand 
that there could be a potential bias. And, you know, maybe Ragona and Nagy are, are frustrated with Trubisky. I mean, the guy did not get a contract extension. Like, this is why we have this competition. So I, I, it sounds like the the grading process that at least uh, John Filippo is going to use, that Flip is going to use, will help eliminate some of that bias, right? Maybe this applies to some of the players as well because you know some of those guys are big Trubisky backers. They like the guy, like on and off the field. Still think he has it. Uh, they, they probably like how motivated he is, especially after working with him in the offseason. So having maybe that, that hard data where accuracy is great, not just completions, but accuracy and you know how the play unfolds, how that's graded. This could be very nuanced. I, I think that will benefit the Bears immensely in finding the right choice or making the right decision here at quarterback. And I almost wonder, like, sometimes you can get a little too nuanced with the whole thing, and the small sample size may actually end up being a good thing because sometimes you can have one guy has a good week, one guy wins the next week, one guy looks good in the first preseason game, one guy looks good in the second, it can kind of muddy the waters. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was Laser who, who had the quote about how – I mean, he seemed to indicate that he just hopes this is an easy decision. Like, they don't want this to be a hard decision. Um, yeah, okay, maybe they want the players to make it hard for him, but I feel like their process or whatever data they're going to use, by the end of it, it'll be an easy decision for him because of everything that they laid out. You know, this plan, the word plan gets thrown around a lot in NFL sense. They feel like this plan will result in an easy decision for them at quarterback. I mean... That's ideally what happens, but um, they don't always work out that way. No. Well, we know that well here. <laughs> so um, it, I'm not imagining it's going to be all that easy, but we'll see. We'll see, especially without preseason games. Uh, well, quarterback's not the only spot with position battles, and um, getting access to all of these position coaches yesterday, um, we heard some of them. I, I thought the most interesting – was at safety where uh, Chuck Pagano said very clearly that Deion Bush uh, and Gibson are going to split reps with the first team in practice, and that will be a actual battle between Bush and Tashawn Gibson there, which I think a lot of people just assume Gibson was coming in here and be the starter. I think some people, probably most people, are probably still assuming he'll win that job. But the Bears are giving a guy in Deion Bush who's been around for a while a shot. This goes back to almost, to me at least, in my opinion, the the timeline of the signings, right? Like Deion Bush, for a while there, looked like the unquestioned starter. Yeah. Yeah, he only got the, the one-year deal, but there was nobody there who would give him serious competition in terms of being that guy next Eddie Jackson. And then Sean Gibson gets released by the Texans. This is a guy that the Bears had interest in signing in last year before they settled on HaHa Clinton Dix. And that changed. And I, I think you and I and a lot of people on, on the beat assumed almost immediately that Gibson would be the guy. So it was kind of surprising to hear that Bush is going to, to get equal reps to, to start. But, yeah, maybe it goes back to the timeline. Maybe they already told Dion Bush that at the start, and they had to change their message to him once Gibson became available, a player that they liked last year before going after Ha Clendix. 
Yeah, I think that's probably part of it. Um, because they're always they're, part of this is always usually that you're sending messages to your players and trying to challenge them. Another one of the challenges that I heard um, is that Jalen Johnson, you know, is not even like the number two corner right now. He's got to, you know, for that second spot, um, that he's going to have to really work his way up. Now, we talked to Ryan Pace about this a week ago, uh, right here on this podcast, and the challenges that Jalen Johnson has having missed the offseason program and um, limited reps and no preseason reps coming up for him. And that's one of the things with the rookies and not having preseason games. That, that does matter. That being said, this sounded to me like, um, you, you know, when you get rookies in there, you, you make them work for it, right? Yeah. Uh, th- th- to me, it's a little different. Like, I still feel like Jalen Johnson is the favorite to end up being the starter. Yeah, the message just sounded different. It wasn't – like Deion Bush, like, he hasn't started a lot of games, but he's been around. Like, he's filled in. He's been the number one reserve for a while. And, yes, I know Kevin Tolliver has been that. But this is still an undrafted guy from a couple of years ago with two career starts. Like, Artie Burns – he was a first-round pick of the Steelers a few years ago, and like since his first year, he's like there's a reason he, he he's here in the veteran minimum. Like, is is there not? It's just the competitions seem different to me at cornerback and safety, especially when you consider that Jalen Johnson is the 50th overall pick. Man, like this guy is, they see big things for him. Number 50. Like, like th- this is a guy, like, all f- like top 50 picks should be starters in the NFL. And the Bears believe they got a steal in, hi- in, in him since, you know, because his shoulder injuries dropped him out of the first round. So it feels different. Like, you know, you hear all sorts of things from coaches at this time of year. And to me, the message is you're right in saying they felt different when talking about the two positions. Plus, I think when you, I don't know, you just watch Jalen Johnson's tape. You see the really long arms, the length he has at the position, the speed he has. If he's healthy, I mean, he really should be the starter. But you got to go out and earn it, which is why Chuck Pagano probably said what he said yesterday. And that's probably the message that's inside the building right now. Yeah, like they're gonna, they're gonna. It's it is. We've been doing this long enough. It is fairly common, even with first round picks, that you start them like on the third string the first few days and then by the second week they're on the second string and then by the third preseason game they're starting this yeah. this is how it goes but this is a different preseason like they're not even starting real padded practices until August 17th so yeah. that's a hell of a lot different than what we normally have the last week of July that's a good point because when Johnson was drafted I, I thought he'd be on like the Eddie Jackson track, right? Like, this is a guy who's going to show up in OTAs if he's healthy. He's going to be impressive. He's, he's going to handle his own against some of the Bears' best players on offense. And by the time the Bears report the training camp, he's going to be your starter in the secondary. But you're right, to that point, they have not had a normal offseason. It's been all virtual, all over Zoom, and maybe that's been good for Johnson because there's less strain on his shoulders. Uh, but... I, it, it still feels like it could be like that for me. Like it could just be a condensed version of that by the the second week of this, you know, by the last week of August. Maybe he is on the Eddie Jackson track. Maybe he is going to be that starter, and it's going to be that obvious for the Bears. Well, if you look at the calendar, I believe there's four weeks from the time they start 
padded practices until their first game. Yeah. But if you really think about it, that last week is game week. So that's not training camp anymore. That is, they're preparing for the Lions. Okay. Uh, And typically, at least in past years, by that second to last week, where your last preseason game would usually be, your starters are already on a separate field prepping for the Lions. Okay. Or in the last two years, it was against the Packers. Now, that is something that could be changed this year just because everything's so truncated. Like, they might not be able to get to real Lions prep until game week, although I'm sure some of that will start to trickle down. <laughs> I'd start it on August 17th, to be honest. You think you. so? But yes, yes. But well, so the point is... Some of it. Right. This really could come down to two true weeks of competition in pads. That's a limited amount of practices to really evaluate some of these competitions, which is which is pretty fascinating. It's a limited amount of time for a rookie to impress that much to earn a starting spot. So I'm fascinated by it. We're going to get a little bit of access to be able to see what's going on, but there's not going to be tape from preseason games to evaluate. And it's it's one of those things where I think we have to accept there could be a lot of changes on the depth chart from week one to week two to week three once the season starts, and that yeah. may include quarterback. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think everybody should almost assume such a thing will happen for the Bears. You know, plan for the worst, hope for the best. <laughs> that's just Look, good advice right now. In yes, yeah, yeah, that's true. It's true. Uh, would I be surprised if Kevin Tolliver is starting week one? No. But it's still different to me than like when, when Kyle Fuller came up, right? Like he was still behind Charles Tillman. He was still behind Tim Jennings, your guy, Tim Jennings. Two pro bowlers. Two pro yeah. bowlers. Kyle Fuller's a pro bowler, and that's it. There's a wide open spot there op- opposite, on the opposite side of him. Uh, we'll see what happens. Jalen Johnson, like, here's the safe prediction, Adam. Jalen Johnson, by the end of the year, by, I'll even say by the middle of the year, will be your starting cornerback with Kyle Fuller. I, I am almost absolutely certain about that just in terms of potential. It may take him a, a while to catch up to the speed, to catch up to you know, learning the nuances of you know Chuck Pagano's defense and all the demands of that secondary. But in man-to-man coverage, I feel like he can handle his own against uh, probably a good majority of the receivers out there. Like, it, it, like I think we'll, the Bears will have a good idea – of what he can handle in straight man-to-man coverage by going against Al Robinson for those two weeks that you mentioned. Yeah, I agree, and I uh, wouldn't even be surprised if it still is week one. Yeah. Like, I'm not rolling that out. What are the other competitions that you that stood out to you, I guess, yesterday from some of the comments? Well, there's a lot of praise for Cole Komet. Uh, I'm going to be writing about that later today for uh, uh, The Athletic, so be sure to check it out. Um, it, it, it's widely apparent to me that they, they expect some type of production from him. And, you know, just looking at some numbers, I, I you know, history-wise from other first-round, second-round tight ends, I think the Bears can safely expect that. How much? You know, he's not going to go over 1,000 yards, but you can get production out of him. Uh, so that was notable to me. Um, I'm trying to think of what else stands out as well. well. I mean, we'll see how things play out at right guard, but... Um, overall, I think the Bears seem very happy with you know the rookie class and what they could potentially get out of them. Yeah, I think so too. And then nose tackle too. I mean, with Eddie Goldman out. Yeah, yeah. 
little Brent Urban, John Jenkins combo coming your way. Yeah. I wonder if Abdul Anderson, I know he didn't really, I think it was the London game that really stood out when Hicks was out that he kind of struggled, but Jay Rogers had some nice things to say about Anderson yesterday. And you never know, a guy like that can get better, especially when they're well coached with a good position coach. They can they can take off after a year, so it's possible. And here's another point, and I'm like, you know, I want to ask Matt Nagy about this next week. Is you have this expanded practice squad, right? Mm-hmm. So like the whole roster, 53 man aspect, it just doesn't feel the same anymore because you got a 16 man practice squad where you could put six veterans on that roster, right? Like there's no exemptions anymore where they they gotta only have a certain amount of time you know qualified in, in the league so you know like, Tyler Bray <laughs> yeah well he'll this be guy that. this guy in the practice squad like I swear like he knows somebody in the league and they keep changing the rules every single year just so they get him on the practice squad I mean, his practice squad eligibility had to have run out like four years ago. <laughs> and there he is. Yeah. You know, we're making light of this. I know the Bears see him as a coach, but that that, that applies. Like, if you want to, you know, put a John Jenkins on there for a little bit of time, you know, you can. And then you can protect them. You can protect, what, two guys, four guys, I forget, like from other teams from signing these guys. So, yeah. like, the roster still may be 53 and maybe even 55 on game day. Like, it's just so different now because of the COVID-19, what we'll call it the COVID-19 roster expansion. Yeah, no, and and it also makes sense. You see what, I mean, we all hope this doesn't happen, but you see what's happened in baseball where, I mean, teams have depended on these taxi squads they have. The Marlins essentially had to come up with half of a new roster. Okay, I, I hope that does not happen in the NFL. But there could be the need to shuffle guys in and out and um they're doing the right thing by expanding these these rosters and um you know having more flexibility i get why during a normal season you it's not it's actually not fair to the players to have the practice squads create more jobs but they also can prevent those players from ever making more money if they can't freely sign with another team so I get why in normal years the rules are the way they are, but I think in this year the exceptions that have been made make a lot of sense, which is why the NFL and the NFL Players Association were able to come in agreement on all that stuff. Yeah, and you know, they rarely agree on a lot of things, but this year is just it's just so different in, in so many ways. And I, I, it's good segue to our next conversation yeah. with Danny Trevath. It is. So we got to talk to Danny Trevath in this morning and as we record this on Friday. You know, when we talked to Danny a few months ago on Zoom, I I, I mean, I came away thinking of it like he is taking this coronavirus thing very, very seriously because he kept bringing it up. And so I wanted to ask him today, you know, did he think about opting out because he's just one of the guys I had in my head that, you know, maybe thinking about it. And I didn't even know some of the stuff that was going on, you know, in his own family it's the thing we always forget. Like these guys have family members; they have other things they need to consider. And it turns out that uh, you know, in his case, his fiance has has chronic asthma, uh, and his kids have asthma too. And man, you talk about what COVID can do to your lungs, especially if you have underlying health conditions. That's a serious thing, man. That is a very serious thing. And I think, you know, hearing from Danny today, he had to seriously consider 
how safe it was at Hallis Hall and make a decision. So should we play what he had to say about all this stuff? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so here he is, Danny Trevathan, talking about some of the accountability the players have to take here and also uh, his decision to, to play, even though he thought long and hard about it. You know, I was definitely concerned about, you know, the virus, you know, with my um, fiancé, um, you know, her asthma and stuff, and my kids having the same thing. Um, family is very important to me, you know, family football, you know, those are things that's very, very important to me. So I definitely, you know, took some hard thought about, you know, the whole situation, handle the situation. To get out, I had to see it firsthand. So I came in and um, I, I, I feel like uh, it, it was a pretty good job handling the situation. You know, this thing is, is I mean, it's so wild. You know, this is the first year I've ever seen something like this. And everybody probably seen something like this, you know. So it, it definitely made me nervous a little bit, but um, I, I feel like I made the right decision. So I found it interesting, John, that you know he felt like he had to get in the building and really experience, you know, how safe it seemed. You know, probably ours team, teammates taking it seriously, things like that. Um, and it was enough that when the opt-out deadline came and went on Thursday, he decided to play. Yeah. And well, he would have been a significant loss. Talking about your your heart and soul, passionate leader in the middle of that defense, a guy who was counted on more uh, than just for his tackling ability, his coverage ability. He just brings so much to the table in terms of intangibles. Has really become a such a team leader over the. Well, this will be his what fifth year here or fourth year here? I man, fifth, I, I, fifth year because yeah, he originally I, had a four year contract and he just okay. resigned. Sorry, I can't yeah. keep track of my days anymore. You yeah, know, you know, you know how it goes living this uh, pandemic lifestyle. But yeah, it, that would have been a significant loss, and I think it's important for if you're list, still listening right now to to hear a player again one of, one of the Bears team leaders articulate his personal concerns, right? Like the current concerns that he has within his own house about this COVID-19 pandemic. Like I I know those concerns will vary from house to house to house. One of my best friends has CF, you know, cystic fibrosis. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think about him a lot, you know? I I think about family members that that have, have diabetes, you know? And to hear an NFL player, one of the Bears leaders, articulate that I think it's very important for people to hear it's definitely important to hear because I it not a day or even hour goes by where some idiot on Twitter is saying something like well the, these guys are in their 20s and 30s and they're healthy athletes they're not gonna die from this uh yeah but what if you have a fiance with chronic asthma at home like it's not I, I it boggles my mind that people do not understand the how it's contagious and that somebody like Danny Trevathan could get it at practice and yes, be perfectly fine. But that doesn't mean his family members at home would be fine if he brought it home. It's really, really frustrating and it's become a huge part of the sports conversation because that's what keeps getting brought up. It's like, oh, these guys are athletes. They're the healthiest people that that live right now. They're not going to, they need to play through this. They need to suck it up. It's not that big of a deal. They have families. They have lives. They have people. And by the way, there are players like Freddie Freeman on the Atlanta Braves who had some serious issues with it. Yeah, he's back. But that's it's just such a selfish way to look at it, quite frankly. Um, 
And, I, man, if I – I'm frustrated as a reporter covering these players. If I was a player that was seeing some of this stuff on Twitter, I would lose my mind over it. Yeah. Who was it? Bill's cornerback, Tredavious White, who had uh, yeah. an interesting back and forth with people on Twitter yesterday because, like, he, he opted in. Like, he's playing, but he was considering opting out, and he got some blowback from fans. I know there's high hopes up in Buffalo because they went to the playoffs last year, and they got a good defense, and he's an important part of that defense. But, like – Sometimes it's just more than football, and you know that's why Eddie Goldman opts out. That's why Jordan Lucas opts out. That's why you had what six or seven, eight Patriots opt out. You don't think they want to play football for Bill Belichick? Well, okay, maybe they want to break, <laughs> but like, don't you think that they're taking this seriously? It's just, it's more. It's not about you. It's it's about everybody else around you. If that makes sense. And you know, there was another example. Uh, our friend Ross Tucker who's been on this podcast. I like Ross a lot. He had a tweet the other day that surprised me because this is a guy who knows football really well, was in the locker room, went to Princeton. He tweeted that, you know, on the list of health concerns he would have as a player, coronavirus would be way down the list, like well behind, you know, head injuries and getting hurt and all that things. Like, And my response to that just wanted to be, but how... How many of those injuries that you get are contagious? Right. Like, like if you t- like if you tear your ACL, your kid's not going to tear his ACL like the next day. <laughs> right. I mean, it's again, it's not about like I get it. Yes, if you're going to look at it in a vacuum for you as a player, healthy guy, you know, in good shape. And by the way, not all these players though. Some of these players are, you know technically obese some of these linemen so they might not actually be safe like you may be the um you know chiseled cornerback or wide receiver that has outstanding lung capacity and, and blah 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 but again yeah it's it's not just about you and your own specific health concerns it may not affect you it may affect a lot of people around it may affect your how old's chuck pagano now who by the way battled cancer yeah yeah you know what i mean like it's not just about you it's it's so frustrating it's well in the end there were only 69 players who opted out um i'm excited nice yeah i was waiting set you up there um i'm excited that football is back i cannot wait to cover it um, I respect all the the players who decided to opt out for their, their various reasons, whether it's having newborns or expecting newborns or having preconditioned, you know, family members who have preconditions. It's I respect all that, but I, I am happy to cover football. Um, and to, to and Carlos, is he still in the league? Carlos Santos, has I he ever been in the league? Um, I don't think Carlos Santos is a real person. No, <laughs> at least in, in the NFL. But to, to hear Danny Olsel articulate the importance of, you know, maintaining this, like like to, to, to wear your masks, to, to be aware of where you're going. You know, I, I know that, that players have to sign off on like these the, – the, the, the behavior, right? You can't go to bars and stuff like that and, or, or face fines. And I think that's a, well, you know, that's a good way to go about it because you can't get everybody in line. But to hear, again, one of the Bears, one of their team leaders articulate the importance of maintaining these protocols, 
I think is great, not only for the Bears, but you hope that's the way the way it is around the league because you don't want to have a situation like baseball has right now. My concern still is, and then we can you know wrap this up, but my concern still is, and you heard Danny talking about it, you've heard other players talk about it, coaches play about it, talk about it. I, I just, at some point, football's too hard. It's too mentally tough. It's this virus, too. We, we have all, everyone listening, you, me, at certain points, had moments where it's like, all right, when, we could just go out, right, and have dinner or, you know. I, and I have. Be, it'll be fine. It'll be, you know, it'll and, and, and you're probably okay. But that's different from what I think is, I just, I at some point on some team, there's going to be at least one player or a couple players that, break the rules it's just it's like kind of just mathematically a certainty not everyone's going to follow things to a t um and that's where things get dangerous if the right now the testing is every day um but i still don't think they're getting the results back immediately and so to keep somebody who does that contracts the virus out of the building altogether and not pat. I mean, that's where the social distancing protocols within the building are so important. We heard Nagy talk about that the other day. Like you got to, it's not just act like the person around you has it. You need to act like you have it. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this applies to think how big NFL team staffs are, you know, for, forget just like the trainers, which there's like a dozen of them. Forget it, like the equipment guys. Like at this time of year, Adam, you know, training camp, there's like a thousand train or uh, yeah. equipment guys, right? Like I feel like every year, team ads got like five new guys I've never seen before, right? And they stick around for the entire year. So like you got them, video help. You got all these coaches and all, like um, coaches that that come in like like Henry Burris, you know, to to help out as part of the, part of the diversity program. Like there's there's so many guys that come and go. And then you have the marketing department, the PR department. Like scouts and stuff, people who come and go. Like this applies to the entire team, not just the players or the coaches, but the entire team in terms of observing these protocols so that NFL games are played, so that everybody can watch and enjoy NFL football here in a month. Yeah. I hope they, and I hope they're all in. Some teams probably will have everybody all in. I just, I just don't know that it's always going to be that way. So. Uh, That's the Blackhawks' new saying, isn't it? All in, all for one, all for one. Yeah, one I goal. They, I think they've used all, all in too. So yes, one goal, all for one, all in, all of the above, all of the above. Blackhawks logos for the that NFL. should be this, that should be our motto. Yeah, just everything you just said put together, <laughs> then all of the above. <laughs> yes, gold steel and ice. I like that. Um, all right, speaking of the Hawks. Wrap up the Oilers tonight. That'd be nice. Yeah, that'd be fun. Hockey in August. Getting used to it, but enjoyed those 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 two goals the other night for sure. At one a.m. or whenever they happened. Jesus. Okay. Um. I think that does it for today. We'll be back next week. More Zoom calls. More player availability, and then in two weeks. Some practices. Yes. We get to observe and report somewhat on what we're seeing for you guys. By the way, they will get on the practice field next week. They're just being helmets and 
Shells. Still kind of lim- limited in what they're doing. We won't be able to watch that in two weeks, though, when the pads go on. We will be able to watch that and uh, report back, and we're, we're looking forward to it because by now we would have been a ways into training camp and had plenty to evaluate and talk about this quarterback competition. But, hey, we're still getting through it, and um, it was nice to talk, be able to talk to all these coaches yesterday. and get. I even sensed, John, that they were like enjoying talking to us. Yeah. I think they so. They definitely enjoyed our questions. <laughs> yeah, I took note of that. We did a great job yesterday. I, you did a great job. Yeah, you did too. We all did. Uh, all right. Follow us on Twitter, at Adam Hogue, H-O-G-E, at Adam Johns, J-A-H-N-S. Plenty of uh, Bears coverage for you to read up at NBCSportsChicago.com for me and The Athletic. Could be listening to this right now on The Athletic app if you are good for you check out some of the uh the content that's up there if you are subscribe 40 percent uh, off check us out do it do it check out the app it, it's really awesome you should check it out there you can read johns you can read kevin fishbane there uh and listen to this podcast all at the same time theathletic.com slash hogue and johns you get 40 percent off your subscription there do it do it all right. Uh, please rate and review the podcast too appreciate it thanks to our producer kent garrison we will be back I need to go to sleep now. Yeah. See ya. Chris, uh, Matt Nagy has always been kind of the past half full kind of guy.